Uh, well, again, good morning and welcome to Grumlaw. We really are so stinking happy that you are here today. As I look around and I see all your faces looking back at me, it's really, really humbling that you would decide to make Grumlaw part of your week because as Melissa said, I, I totally get that feeling. Walking into a new place can certainly feel a little bit intimidating even as adults. So again, we are so glad you decided to make Grumlaw a part of your week. If you were not here last week, we started this brand new series that we've already alluded to called I Don't Understand What I Do. And we began to tackle something that I, I think all of us deep down know is true, but we all would probably have a little bit of difficulty admitting. And, and that's this, that we all, whether you call yourself a Christian or not, we all do things all the time, in fact, where almost immediately after doing that thing, we ask ourselves, what in the heck was that? Why did I do that? What were you thinking? And as we discovered last week, this isn't a new problem for people. Apparently, this is something that people have struggled with since the beginning of time, or at least the last couple thousand years. And the reason that we know that to be true is because there's a guy that goes by the name of Paul, and Paul wrote better than half of the New Testament, this, which is the second half of this book that we refer to as the Bible. And, and Paul would write all these letters to all these different churches that were popping up in the first century. And one of these letters he wrote was to these early churches that were popping up in the city of Rome. And in this letter that he titles Romans, he has this to say, on the subject. He says, I do not understand what I do. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And again, every single one of us can relate to that. Why did you eat that? Why did you call him? Why did you call her? Why did you hit snooze? Why in the heck would you say yes to that? Why did you agree to that? Why would you sign that? Why would you do that again? For, for the life of me, I can't understand why you would possibly buy more of those. I do not understand what I do. And so last week, we began to tease this whole thing out. And so if you weren't here last week, I can't encourage you enough to go to grumlaw.com messages. Get yourself caught up there. You missed the whole intro to the beginning of this series. We'll give you a quick recap here in just a second. Or you can find us as well under Grumlaw Church, wherever it is that you happen to grab your podcast. But the thing that we really began to tease out, this question that we began to tease out last week is this, is why would any of us continue to do these things that hold us back? Why would any of us make a conscious decision to do something that we know is going to lead to regret? Why would we do things that we know are certainly not what is best for you, but also not what is best for the people around you? And this is why this series is so incredibly applicable to every single person that is sitting in this room. Because this isn't a Christian thing. This isn't a churchy thing. This is a human being make you better at life thing. Because believe it or not, and this is really kind of at the core of what we're talking about, by continuing to say yes to that thing that you know leads to regret, by continuing to say yes to that thing, and I get it, that might feel good in the moment, but 100% of the time leads to a moment where you're staring yourself in the mirror going, you idiot, why would you do that? By continuing to say yes to that thing, you are actually holding yourself back from where you ultimately want to be. Again, whether you call yourself a Christian or not. Or not. And so last week, we began to kind of explore this question. Okay, well, how do we kind of take control of those things that are actually holding us back? How do we break these habits that for a lot of us, let's be honest, have been literally a lifetime in the making? And so for the rest of the series, that's what we're going to do. We're going to dive into some of these really commonplace, very, these very frequent sins. And I know some of us aren't totally comfortable using that word yet. But these common sins, these common things that seem to so frequently appear in so many of our lives. And let's look at, okay, well, how do we get these things out of our lives? And in fact, why should we even care about getting these things out of our lives that are indeed holding us back? So 
to get us all, all on the same page here this morning uh, and to get us on task for what we're going to be talking about, I'm going to show you a list of phrases. I'm going to show you a bunch of words, and I want you guys to do your best to try to tell me what it is you think that we're going to be tackling here today. And we've already kind of hinted at it, so this isn't a real brain buster. Uh, but chit-chat, buzz, scuttlebutt, hearsay, I don't, I don't need to read all these. Small talk, rumor has it. Anybody want to take a stab at what we're talking about today? Gossip. There's like six of you that got that. The rest of you, a little slow. Yeah, that beautiful little six-letter word there, gossip. This word that, as we see here, is really, really easy to disguise under other words, under other phrases that, frankly, have a lot less of a bite to them, right? It's easier to say scuttlebutt. Actually, nobody says scuttlebutt. What in the heck is scuttlebutt? It's easier to say rumor has it. It's easier to call it water cooler talk. It's easier to put these other phrases, this other terminology behind it because when we say the word gossip, that immediately kind of gives it this dirty flair, this act that so easily seeps into so many of our lives, this thing that becomes so difficult sometimes to even identify. This last week as I was preparing for this message, it was like, you know, God just like delivered to me this incredible illustration because wouldn't you know it, on my counter was sitting a magazine called Marie Claire, and I'm looking at Lisa because this was her magazine, uh, Marie Claire, I don't know what the heck Marie Claire is. I should have asked Lisa what the heck Marie Claire is, but apparently people subscribe to Marie Claire. How good for her. That's not Marie Claire, I don't think, right? Confirmed? No, okay, it's not. All right, but notice here in the bottom left, uh, one of the articles that's being highlighted, why gossip is good for you. When you know it, gossip is actually a wonderful thing for you. I'm so thankful for Marie Claire and the fact that she was able to point that out for us. Now, I initially, I have to admit, I got pretty irritated at this, that that there would be a a, a human being that would try to rationally argue that that gossip could actually somehow be a good thing for people. But but the more I thought about this, and as I was actually processing this, and I I really did do that, um, I thought, you know what, That, that statement isn't necessarily wrong. Because indeed, that's actually what gossip is, right? Gossip is actually for you. It is for me. It is for the person that is doing the gossiping. In fact, gossip elevates me at the expense of you. And so from that perspective, in that split second, in that moment when you have that hot detail, you have that thing that you just cannot keep to yourself, it is indeed good for you. But as we have all experienced, it is certainly not good for the you that you are talking about. Uh, When I was in high school, I've shared a little bit about my exploits in in high school. Uh, Not exactly a good person when I was in high school. Uh, I put my parents through a lot of grief when I was in high school, made a lot of terrible decisions, and kind of came to a climax uh, my sophomore year of high school when when I was caught with drugs, which was just a wonderful moment in the history of my life. Uh, But that happened. Uh, Wasn't too excited about that. But even in the moment, the thing that I felt the worst about was were my parents, because my parents were inside of a year, actually, of starting a church. And now that my wife and I are in the middle of this. I can't imagine going through all the stress and all the rigors that would have been involved there, but also having knucklehead teenagers that were making really, really terrible decisions uh, at the time. And I remember at the time when I got caught, I thought, oh my goodness, I hope the whole church doesn't find out about this. Not only will that be really humiliating and really embarrassing for me, but even more so, that would be so embarrassing for my parents. But I was hopeful that the word would not get out because I happened to be going to a private high school that was about an hour away from where my parents had started this church. So I'm like, okay, it's plausible that people actually will not find out about this except for the couple people that my, you know, my parents are really, really close to. Uh, well, as it turns out, I, I got caught in the middle of the week. By that Sunday, I walked into church and everybody was giving me these looks I'm like 
Yep, they know. That's fantastic. I'm really excited about this right now. I, I couldn't figure it out, though, and so I kind of started doing like some investigative work. I started walking around the church trying to figure out where this was all coming from, and it turns out that I went to an all-guys school, and right next to our school was an all-girls school, and certainly word had gotten out there that, you know, what had happened. Uh, and there was a girl that, that went to that all-girls school that went to the church that my dad still to this day pastors and she was the one that was kind of going around and, and taking it upon herself to make sure that everybody knew about this and and I got to tell you I was really really angry so much so that I remember I tracked down her phone number uh, and the next day I called her and again I was not a Jesus follower at the time and I let her have it I was mad and I let her know how much it was hurting my parents I think I made up stuff and told her that my mom cried herself to sleep the night before. I wanted to do anything that I could to make sure that she understood how much it was not only hurting me, but hurting my parents as well. And the truth is, every single one of us, every single one of us, we have a story like that, where gossiping has hurt you. Where, where, where gossiping has certainly hurt the, hurt the people around you. Where gossiping has had disastrous consequences on a relationship that's really, really close to you, the relationship that you have in your life. Gossiping, don't miss this, gossiping always 100% of the time hurts the you beside you. Now, for those of you that are sitting in the room today and you call yourselves Jesus followers, that should be good enough. I should be able to theoretically right now walk off the stage and that should be enough reason for you never to gossip again. Because after all, gossip, put that next slide up, gossiping hurts people. Gossiping hurts people, and Jesus loves people, so much so that Jesus died for all people, including every single person that's sitting in this room, so don't hurt people Jesus died for. You call yourself a Jesus follower, that should be good enough, I should be able to walk off the stage right now. As we really drove home in this last series that we're in, uh, called Brand New, the way that you love God is demonstrated by how well you love the people around you. And you cannot love the people around you if you are gossiping about them, if you are talking about those people behind your back. Those two things are diametrically opposed. But, and I recognize this, not everybody that's sitting in this room today would identify as a Jesus follower. Some of you guys are still figuring this out. And by the way, we are so glad that you are here. And wouldn't you know it, even the Jesus followers sometimes need a little bit more convincing. And so for the rest of our time together, I'm going to appeal maybe to more of the human side of this thing, and let's really explore this question of why shouldn't you gossip? Why shouldn't you gossip? Why shouldn't you talk about other people? Why shouldn't you talk about people behind their back? What, what's so bad? And I've heard this question many times. What's so bad about talking about another person, particularly if they never actually find out about it? Now, to, to get this question answered, I think it's important that we all have kind of the same understanding of gossip. I, I don't think anybody's ignorant enough to not know what gossip is, but it can be a slightly vague term. So for the sake of our conversation, gossip is this. Sharing information which damages another person's reputation with those who have no need to know. I'm going to say that one more time. Sharing information which damages another person's reputation with those, let's read this last part together, with those who have no need to know, with those who have no need to be known. So to be clear, there are times... When it is completely appropriate, mind you, completely necessary when you should talk about another person when they are not present. We are not talking about those times. 
Uh, two times a year, semi-annually, uh, we have management team meetings here uh, at Grumla. Management team are the people like the board of elders that kind of oversee me. They help hold me accountable. They do things like determine my salary. They approve the budget around here. Anytime we make a big decision, we have to run it by them, and they're the ones that kind of say, hey, give this their stamp of approval. And at every single one of those meetings, every single time, one of the agendas, one of the topics on the agenda is the staff. We have nine people on staff here at Grumla, and we talk about, by name, those people. We talk about the things that are going really well, and we also talk about the things that aren't particularly going well. But it's important to remember the, the purpose of that conversation is not to damage their reputation. It is not to tear them down. In fact, it is actually the opposite of that. It is for their benefit. We're not talking about those times. So let's do our best this morning. Just kind of take a deep breath, put our guards down, and be willing to discuss a topic that might be causing more damage than maybe you would be willing to admit, rather than coming to the defense of the very thing that is not only hurting the people around you, but as we will see this morning, is also hurting you. Now, to get a little bit more insight here on this topic, we're going to jump into a letter titled James. Uh, the reason that this letter is, letter is titled James is because the guy that wrote it goes by the name of James. He actually happens to be the brother of Jesus. Think about that for a minute. Growing up in a home where Jesus was your older brother. Tough act to follow, right? Now, it's also important to note that James was not a Jesus follower. He was not buying into what Jesus was selling until Jesus rose from the dead because it turns out James was a simple guy. If his brother predicted his own death and his brother predicted his own resurrection and then it actually happened, he was going to go with whatever his brother had to say. And again, if you are skeptical of Christianity, if you're still on the fringes of this and still trying to figure it out, you're like, you know, this whole son of God thing, that seems a little bit unlikely. What would it take for your older brother to convince you that he was the son of God. Okay, that in and of itself is something that you ought to pay attention to. And so James, after Jesus rises from the dead, he's like, dang, this guy was telling the truth. And he dedicates the rest of his life to spreading the name of Jesus all around the ancient world. And in this letter titled James, he, again, he has a little bit to say on this whole topic of controlling our tongues, of controlling what comes out of our mouths. Because wouldn't you know it, this is not a new problem for people as we so often see in scripture. So for those of you, again, that think, man, the Bible's old, it just doesn't apply to 21st century America, that, that is an ignorant excuse. These things, I'm telling you, they, they were just as true for people thousands of years ago as they are today. The same things that people struggled with so long ago are the exact same things that we struggle with today. It's kind of fascinating. We really haven't gotten any better at this stuff. And so James, he starts out this whole conversation on controlling the tongue by saying this. He says, indeed, Indeed, we all make many mistakes, to which we're all like, yep, I can get on board with that. We all make many mistakes. He's establishing some common ground here. We all screw up, particularly when it comes to our mouths, particularly when it comes to the things that come flowing out of our mouths. Now, this is part of the reason that I think that this topic can be so difficult to discuss because it's so incredibly commonplace and every single person that is sitting in this room today has taken advantage of this sin at some point in their lives. See, it's really, really easy to point out the faults in other people when it's not really something that you've ever struggled with. Well, how could you look at pornography? How could you possibly cheat on your spouse? How could you say something so mean to that person? How could you hit him? How could you hit her? How could your anger get so out of control? But when you say something like, well, how could you talk about that person behind their back? Doesn't exactly have the same bite to it. You immediately sound like a hypocrite when you let something like that come out of your mouth because no matter who you are speaking to, that person knows 100% in the moment that you at some point have also done just that. 
He continues, he says, for, for if we could control our tongues, we would be perfect and could also control ourselves in every other way. And I look at that and I'm like, amen, preach it, James. You do not have to be a Jesus follower for this to ring true. Far and away, the most difficult thing for any of us to control in our lives, again, whether you call yourself a Christian or not, is definitely our tongue. Uh, a lot of you will ask about the, the tattoos that I have. One of the tattoos I have right here is, is on my thumb, and it says, quick to listen and slow to speak. And I purposely put it right here on my thumb because I can't really hide it from my line of sight. It's weird to walk around like this or like this. You know, it's, it's always staring me right in the eye because I've recognized that in my life, I, this is a daily, in fact, a multiple times a day reminder to Shay, shut up. Because the vast majority of my problems that I create for myself, like 99% of them, have been created because of my inability to control my mouth. If I would just be quick to listen and slow to speak, most of those issues would just go away. If we could just control our tongues, wouldn't the rest of our lives just kind of fall into place? If you could just control your tongue, as James says here, wouldn't your life kind of be perfect? Wouldn't things seemingly go a lot better for you if you could just control your tongue? Again, think about this. Whether you call yourself a Christian or not, wouldn't your marriage have less conflict? Wouldn't your friendships indeed be more meaningful? Wouldn't your connection with your kids be far stronger? Wouldn't you get along better with your coworkers if you could just control your tongue? Every relationship, and that is no exaggeration, literally every relationship in your life would be better for it. And in turn, your life would be better for it. Let's think of just one example within these ones that I just gave there. For all all you married couples out there, think about how much better, how much improved your marriage would be if in your marriage you just practiced listening to your spouse. Quick to listen and slow to speak. Rather than trying to win the argument, rather than trying to win that conversation, you were just quick to listen. Think about how much better your marriage would be if you never had a negative thing to say about your spouse, that when all your coworkers gathered together and they started griping about your spouse, you walked away and said, I am never going to say a negative thing about my spouse, no matter how innocent it sounds. Let's take it a step further. Think of what would happen within your marriage if you made a commitment to each other that you were never going to negatively discuss another person in your marriage. That when it came to other people, you only spoke positive things. That instead, you used your marriage as a way to leverage and elevate the people that you have the privilege of knowing. Think of the ripple effect of just that. He says, we can make a large horse go wherever we want by means of a small bit in its mouth. And a small rudder makes a huge ship turn wherever the pilot chooses to go, even though the winds are strong. And he's starting to give us some illustrations here. He's starting to illustrate this point that the things that are very, very small can have a very, very dramatic effect. Um, growing up, uh, we, we were a boating family. We, we still go boating a ton in, in, in the summer. Uh, and growing up, we always had inboard boats, which are like ski nautiques and mastercrafts, these boats where the propeller and the rudder actually sit directly underneath the boat, which makes them really great for water sports. But when the water gets really shallow, not, not such a good thing because you have no ability to, to either raise or lower the prop and the rudder when you're driving in these boats. And so when you got to like low clearance, it was kind of like, okay, you just better get out of that situation. Otherwise, you're going to find yourself 
uh, in trouble. Now, one of these times when I was in middle school, there was known that was in the lake that, that, that I grew up on, uh, there was a rock wall. We don't really know why the rock wall was there still to this day, but apparently somebody thought one day that it was good to just dump rocks in a big pile in the lake. And for the most part, we avoided that rock wall. But I remember one time my dad was driving over the top of it. He's like, oh, crud, we're about to hit it. And sure enough, just like that crunch, you hear the crunch underneath the boat. We pulled the boat out of the water and, and the rudder took a ton of damage to it. There were these like the little chunks taken out of it. There were these bends in it, but it was nearing the end of the season. We only had about another month left of boating. My dad said, okay, we're not going to worry about it. We're just going to fix it when we pull it out for the winter and we winterize it. But wouldn't you know it, those little chunks taken out of that rudder, and any of you that have spent any time on a boat, you can attest to this. Those little chunks, those little bends in the rudder, it made the whole boat vibrate, particularly when you were turning. It made the whole experience on the boat different just because there was a little bit of damage to the rudder. The tongue is this tiny thing that as we have all experienced at different points in our lives, specifically when it comes to gossiping, it can get you into all sorts of trouble. He says, and among... And among all the parts of the body, the tongue is a flame of fire. It is a whole world of wickedness, corrupting your entire body. It can set your whole life on fire, for it is set on fire by hell itself. Now we get to this part and we're like, James, I think you're being a little dramatic. Sounds like, okay, like what do you do with your tongue that you would describe it in this way? A flame of fire? Set your life on fire? It is set on fire by hell itself, but is drastic and is overblown? As maybe as much as it seems like, like James is exaggerating here, isn't this true? H hasn't your life demonstrated to you that this is the case? D don't, don't your words have the potential to quite literally set your life on fire? This week, I came across this, uh, this story as I was preparing for this. This happened several years ago. I'm just going to read it to you. Uh, a professor at Princeton University ran an experiment to test the velocity of gossip. He called six students to his office and in strict confidence, this is the important part, in strict confidence informed them that the Duke and the Duchess of Windsor were planning to attend a certain university dance. Within a week, this completely fictitious story had reached no less than 2,000 students. City officials phoned the university demanding to know why they had not been informed. Press agencies were frantically phoning for details. And the professor observed, I love this line, he says this, Go ahead. that was a pleasant rumor. A slanderous one travels even faster. The tongue, our words, can cause some serious damage. So again, whether you call yourself a Christian or not, I think that we can all agree that our mouths have the ability to get us into trouble. We all have very, very personal stories where this has rang true in our lives, particularly in the realm of gossip. But practically speaking, how do we deal with our gossip? How do we take care of this problem, this thing that we all struggle with? What are some practical steps that we can take to kind of take care and harness our, our gossip? And so we're going to separate this here into two categories. The first one is how can I deal with my own gossip? And the second one being how do I deal with the gossip of others? But let's deal with ourselves first. So my gossip first. It's time to stop saying it's no big deal. The tongue, our words, again, can cause some serious damage. We have to stop dismissing it as water cooler talk. We have to stop saying, okay, well, it's just not that big of a deal because everybody does it. As James just pointed out, and as we have all experienced in our lives, gossip destroys. It destroys relationships. It destroys marriages. It breaks down and it destroys trust. 
And gossip not only destroys trust between the person that is gossiping and the person that is being gossiped about, even if they never hear about it, it is a scientific fact. You are subconsciously diminishing the credibility of that person, not only in your mind, but also in the minds of the people that you happen to be gossiping to. And so often, think about this, the people that we are so quick to gossip about are people that we actually care about. Oftentimes, the people that you are closest to, how sick is that? See, not only does gossip hurt the you beside you, far more simpler than that, gossip actually hurts you. Take God completely out of this for a minute. You are ruining your credibility to the people that you are gossiping to. And why? Because you are communicating to the people on the other side of that gossip, I cannot be trusted. Do not trust me. See, in the moment, we, we think we are actually elevating ourselves because we have this hot, juicy, new piece of information. And while that might win you the best story at lunch award, you're telling all of those people, I cannot be trusted. When you share something with me, when I find out something about you, there's no telling who I might communicate that to. If someone will discuss others with you, I assure you, they will discuss you with others. Do not think that you are so special. You have not placed on, been placed on some pedestal that you are off limits to that person. When any of you think about the people that you respect most in life, in fact, when you think of the people that, that you just look up to the most in this world, I guarantee a person that runs their mouths does not come to your mind. Chances are the very person that you're thinking about doesn't really talk that much at all. They might even be quick to listen and slow to speak. We have to stop saying it's no big deal. Number two with our gossip, commit to building up rather than knocking down. Paul, in another one of his letters that he writes to these early churches, he writes one to a church in Ephesus. He has this to say. He says, let everything you say be good and helpful. Everything you say, so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. Make a commitment to not say anything about another person if it is not positive. If it slanders that person, you don't open your mouth. You should not say it. My dad growing up was the king of this. Even when he was not involved in the conversation, it could be like me and my brothers in the backseat of the van talking about another person, and my dad would be like, what's going on back there? You guys talking negatively about someone? Zip your lip, zip your lip. He'd like always yell this at us. And it was so irritating when I was in high school. It felt like I could never talk to anyone about anything. No, it just turns out that my gossip was out of control. Isn't that funny, those of you that are a little bit older, the very things that used to drive you nuts about your parents are the very things that you kind of admire the most? If you make a habit of building others up and speaking life about other people, it's incredible how quickly gossip will just irritate you. It'll make your skin crawl. Now, one last thing as it relates to this particular point here. Um, this is something that I've been practicing in my life for years. It's something that I challenge our staff to, 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 to uphold you know, among each other, and it's something I really want to challenge us as a church as well. An imaginary conversation deserves a real conversation. We all know this. I mean, we, we sound like weirdos when we admit to this stuff, but there have been plenty of times where you're sitting in the shower and you're going, I can't believe she, and you have this whole conversation in your head with another person, and they're not even there. You're on your way to work. And you have this whole conversation that you really want to let your boss have it. An imaginary conversation deserves a real conversation. Oftentimes, the gossip begins in our heads and then it leaks out to other people. So nip it in the butt by actually having a conversation with that individual. I'm telling you, your relationship will be better as a result. 
One other challenge along these lines as well, share the last 10%. I don't expect you to know what the heck that actually means, but scientific data suggests that the people that you are even closest to in this world, your spouse, your best friends, maybe it's relatives, maybe it's a parent, you generally speaking will only share 90% of what's actually ticking around in your head with that person. It's that last 10% though that is usually the root of the issue. And so we say that all the, all the time around our office, even every one-on-one that I have with my staff. We'll sit there, they'll share everything. I'll be like, any, any problems that you're experiencing? Nope. And I'm like, can you give me the last 10%? And then they're like, okay, so here, this is bothering me. And it's like blood. That's all we really needed to talk about. An imaginary conversation deserves a real conversation and share that last 10%. I know it seems scary in the moment, but I'm telling you, your relationship with that person will be better as a result. Next thing here with our gossip, get busy, get busy. Uh, Paul, in another one of these letters that that he writes to, uh, he's specifically addressing these young widows, people that no longer had their husbands around, and they're kind of getting this reputation for being busybodies and just going around and talking about people behind their back. And so he says this, he says, and if they are on the list, this list of young widows, they will learn to be lazy and will spend their time gossiping from house to house and meddling in other people's business and talking about things they shouldn't. So I advise these younger widows to marry again, have children, and take care of their own homes. In other words, get busy. Go find something to do. This is going to sound a bit like common sense, but I have a confession. Pretty much everything I say up here is common sense. It's just things that we need to be reminded of. But do you know why? Do you know why we often gossip? It's because you don't have anything better to do. It's really, really easy to start gossiping with your spouse when you've been sitting on the couch watching eight straight episodes of Breaking Bad, okay? It's really, really easy to gossip when your job becomes so easy and so mundane that let's be honest, you could pull it off in two hours a day so you are left with basically another six hours that you got nothing else better to do than wander from cubicle to cubicle and shoot the, you know what, with your coworkers. You have nothing else going on. It's easy to gossip when your life lacks a certain level of purpose. You have nothing else to talk about. Fill your life with meaningful work, and I guarantee you, you will have more meaningful things to talk about. One of the things that I've discussed this with my wife before that that I continue to be kind of like taken aback by is, uh, you know, in, in this job, I have the privilege of getting to know a lot of different people. And I love that part of my job, getting to know all of you and just like having dinner with you guys and having coffee with you and talking with you after church. And, you know, when I get to know somebody, I want to know, yeah, where they work. I want to know a little bit about their family. But one of the questions that I frequently ask is like, okay, well, what do you like to do for fun? Like, what are your hobbies? And most of the time people look back at me like, well, what do you mean? I'm like, what do you do for fun? Like, I, I like to go hunting. I like to fish. I like to skateboard. I like to wakeboard. I, went, I like going snow skiing. Like, I, I like doing these kind of things. Well, what do you like to do? And they're like, well, played intramural basketball when I was in college. I'm like, you're 35. <laughs> you have not developed a new hobby. So many people, you go to work, you come home, you watch a half an hour of TV, you, you eat, and then you just watch a little bit more TV while your kids play in the corner, and then you eventually go to bed. The conversation quickly reverts to the weather because we got nothing better to talk about. Get a hobby. For the love, join a connect group. You need it. Get involved with a team. That's not for us. That is for you. And then we'll have something more meaningful to talk about than than whether it's going to snow or not tomorrow. Okay, get busy. Next one, my gossip. Give up. Give up. Now, James, he wraps up this conversation about controlling our tongues by saying this. He says, people can tame all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and fish. Apparently, they had different pets back then. But no one can tame the tongue. It is restless and evil, full of deadly poison. It's kind of like, okay, well, James, that, that doesn't sound very encouraging. Like, is there anything we can do about this? 
you're not going to tame your tongue on your own. Apart from God, you ain't conquering this on your own accord. This is something that requires submission to God. My life has demonstrated that to me. For years and years, I tried to tackle this thing on my own. I tried to just, you know, harbor it inside. Like, I'm going to get better at this. I'm going to get better at this. I'm not going to gossip. I'm not going to exaggerate. You know, I'm just going to keep my tongue under wraps. It was impossible. It's something, I'm not going to say every day because I'm not perfect, but six out of seven days a week, this is something that I pray for. I'm like, God, just help me to control my tongue. Convict me when something comes out of my mouth that isn't totally truthful. Convict me even before that point. If something's about to come out of my mouth that's going to cast somebody in a negative light, convict me of that. I I want to speak life into people. You you cannot conquer this thing on your own. Okay, so that's that's our gossip. Now, Now let's move to the gossip of others because I recognize it's not always just you doing the gossip, right? Oftentimes it's the people around you that gossip as well and there's something we can do about that as well. First thing with their gossip, refuse to listen, ask questions. Refuse to listen and ask questions. Ask questions like, why are you telling me this? What is your reason for telling me? Where did you get this information? I'm telling you, you ask a couple questions like this to a person that is known to gossip, they will not gossip around you anymore because it will make them so incredibly uncomfortable. They might gossip about you when you walk away, but that's like another story. That's their problem. It puts that person on the spot and requires them to do some self-reflection, to to, to examine their motives, and it simultaneously, it shuts down the gossip. This is one of the things I really admire about Taylor Garuder, who's our, you know, Grumlaw Kids director. She is the queen of shutting down gossip around our office. She she hears something that even sounds slightly gossipy, even slightly negative. She'll pop her head around the corner and be like, hey, is that positive? Are, are, Are we speaking life to that person? And in that moment, yes, I will admit there's times where it's like, oh, Taylor, shut up. Get back to your desk. But I'm telling you, over time, when you think about the people that have said these types of things to you, don't you win respect for them? Don't you look at them in a more positive light? And that's exactly what we do for her. And then the next one here, when it comes to their gossip, can I quote you on this? Can I quote you on this? Think about this. If you were gossiping about another person and in that moment someone was to ask you, hey, can I quote you on this? Would anything make you soil yourself faster? (laughs) Can I quote you on this? A gossip has no desire to be quoted because most of the time they're not even sure of the information and they certainly do not want to be involved in the solution. Otherwise, they would not be running their mouths. Now, if you're sitting here and you're like, hey, I'm kind of an introvert, and this kind of sounds intimidating. I don't know if I really want to do this. I mean, this kind of sounds bold. You're absolutely right, but do not think for a second that the the people around you, when you are one that calls out gossip, don't think for a second that those people are going to lose respect for you. They will only gain it. The opposite is, is in fact true. You want respect. You, you want to gain trust with the people that are around you. Don't gossip and refuse to be a part of anything that remotely resembles gossip. One, one last story here, and then I'll get off uh, the stage. Um, for years and years, I, I served in, uh, I, I worked in corporate America in medical sales. And uh, I remember after about a year on the job, I was doing pretty well with it. And uh, the, our, our manager, the guy that oversaw all of the reps here in the state of Michigan, uh, he, he actually got promoted. And so the VP of sales like called me personally, which kind of felt like an honor. And he's like, hey, we think we want to hire internally. We, we respect your opinion. Is there anybody presently on the team that you think would maybe be a good fit? Uh, and, and I mentioned, I, I said a name straight away that I was like, yeah, this guy is a guy that I really got along with. His sales numbers were phenomenal. He was a really, really good rep. His customers loved him. And I'm like, yeah, he seems like a natural fit. What, what about him? And I, and I said his name and he goes, Really? And I said, yeah, yeah, you don't think he'd be a good fit? He goes, Shay, he doesn't know how to shut up. 
You guys, Jesus took no part in any decision-making process in this company. It was not a Christian organization. It is a large publicly traded orthopedic company. And even a guy who has no relationship with Jesus recognized the fact that when a person runs their mouth, that is a person that you cannot trust. And again, Jesus plays no part in those decisions. If you are a Jesus followers, you should be as far removed from gossip as you can possibly be because again, when you gossip, it hurts the very people that Jesus died for. I, I know I say this kind of stuff all the time, but can you imagine if just the Christians in the world got this right? Can you imagine how our marriages would change? Can you imagine how much stronger your relationships would be with your friends? Can you imagine how much better your places of work would be if, again, just the Christians got this right? I'm telling you, this is the kind of stuff that has the potential to change our nation certainly to change our communities. Because again, gossiping hurts people and Jesus loves people. And if you ever forget that, remember he died for people. So do not, let's refuse to be a part of anything that hurts the very people that Jesus died for. The people that Jesus thinks so highly of that he paid the ultimate penalty on a cross for them. 